Well, I, I think last week's episode is going to go down in the books uh, next to the Infinity War episode uh, in terms of the times that uh, I just completely malfunctioned on this show. It's our uh, closest proof to you actually being some sort of android uh, rather than actual human. I, I have shattered my brain thoroughly throughout my life, mostly with IMDb. Um, just turning myself into a Rolodex of movie knowledge. So, yeah, I think I think that, that theory holds water for sure. Uh, this movie's a lot hornier than last week's, huh? Uh, yes, correct. Most, most definitely. A uh, lot, of, lot of phallic imagery. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Could have used more Yannick, potentially. Um, I think that's Geiger's strong suit is uh, in terms of the same kind of, like, sexual horror uh, aesthetic that mm-hmm. this movie has, like Geiger's work. Yeah. Geiger gets, uh, just gets everything in there. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, uh, this was a first time watch for you, right, Dustin? It was a first time for me and me. Oh, for both of you. Yeah. Well, this will be interesting. So, yeah. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Good Trash Honorcast. We gather around a table. We discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film space chorus. And this week's film is, of course, Splice. I am still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. I have checked, and I am still Dalton. And yes, you are indeed. And we are here to talk about Splice now. In case you're tuning into the Good Trash Genrecast for the very first time, this is an analysis show, not a review show, and that does indeed mean spoilers. Uh, we will avoid them for the first part of the show. Though we'll have synopsis and uh, a, a thumbs up, thumbs down review, uh, which will be very, very um, mild, if at all, spoilery. And then we will move on into uh, a, a little mental exercise we like to do called expanding the syllabus, which might involve the gentlest of spoilers. And then we'll have some kicky music to let you know it is now business time, and that business is analysis, and that's when all spoiler bets are off. You have been warned. So without any further ado, uh, Mr. Arthur Gordon, can you delight us with a synopsis? Genetic engineers Clive and Elsa are working on a hybrid creature that could possibly lead to a breakthrough in medical treatment with the ability to cure major diseases. While their aspirations are for scientific breakthrough, the company funding the program stymies their progress in favor of moving into production of livestock medicine. On a whim, they secretly attempt a second experiment utilizing human DNA from an anonymous donor. What results is a childlike creature that they don't and won't fully understand. Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. Good synopsis. Thank yes, you. very, very good synopsis. Yeah. So, Pretty, pretty um, uh, standard plot there, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like, oh, like you always see. You know? Paint by the numbers. Paint by the numbers. Well, well hey. look, I, I was being serious. I think <laughs> on the tin, it seems like oh, okay, yeah. There's, there's scientists, and there's we've seen this movie before. Yeah. They it made was, a thing, and the thing is going to be you and, know mysterious, and and yet it does find places to go that are uh, off the beaten path through this sort of story. That is totally correct. So, hey, Dalton, since you are the only one who has seen the movie before, we're going to let you review first. I was uh, fortunate enough to see this one in the cinema uh, way back when. Um, God, it's been a long time, huh? That's weird. Uh, yeah, I like this movie a lot. Uh, I'm a big fan. I big fan of. I was going to say I'm a big fan of Vincenzo Natale. I don't know if you can be a big fan of his just because he doesn't have a lot of work. But uh, I like Cube quite a bit, uh, and I think I like this one even more. Uh, I go back and forth. Uh, but this is the third time that I've watched Splice. I, uh, I saw it very recently. Uh, I think I mentioned last week. Uh, but yeah, so th- this was a very fresh in my mind on revisit, which is always fun for this show because it means I can uh, do my homework while I'm watching the movie <laughs> if I've seen it within the last year. I, I, I It holds up. Every time I watch this, I have fun with it. I, I will say, I, I don't think it holds up to the scrutiny of uh, another watch in less than 12 months, uh, and that's maybe the biggest dig I have against it. I, I think everybody's Shown to play, I think this is maybe one of my favorite Sarah Pauly performances. Um, uh, an actor I like a great deal. 
Uh, I like her work as a director as well. But uh, I don't know. She's great here, man, in, in a really complicated, interesting role that keeps revealing layers. Uh, Adrian Brody's fine. He's a, uh, to use, you know, there's dancing in this movie, so I'll say he's a decent dance partner, right? He, he frames the performance well. Um, he has a tendency to be, I think, a little too twitchy, um, have a, a few too many affectations for his character. But I think he does a really good job here of knowing what kind of genre piece he's in uh, and, and working well. And it does work great as a two-hander and then a three-hander as we get the introduction of the... Uh, uh, actor who plays the adult Dren, this creature they've created, uh, this dancer whose name I don't have on deck right now. Uh, but I, I think once uh, Delphine, oh, that's a hard French last name. Sorry, Delphine, I'm not going to take a swing at that one. Um, yeah, once the, the third entity, though, enters the, the picture, obviously it gets a whole lot weirder and a whole lot more interesting. And this, this Frankenstein tale uh, starts to also become something of an Oedipal and Electra tale as well. And it gets weird and gross and interesting and I like this movie. I think it's it's goopy and nasty and a very Canadian uh, in a specific way, and in, in, in the way that Canadian horror is often kind of bleak uh, in its outlook. Uh, and again, I think has a, a great debt that it owes to another uh, Canadian science body horror film, The Fly, that we've talked about on the show before. Uh, and we'll probably get more into that as we get deeper in the show and start uh, really pick and splice apart. But again, if you've never seen this and those influences and those touchstones seem interesting to you, all the all the things that I've thrown out, yeah, you've got to catch up with this if you haven't. I think it's weird and wacky in the best way. Some people say you shouldn't laugh at a horror movie. I disagree. This movie's tonally weird and makes me laugh a lot uh, at the tonally gross and weird and confusing things it does. I think it's a fun ride. All righty. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Hey, Arthur. What do you hey. think? Oh, yeah. There's the second part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, yeah, Dalton's right. I think the this tonal, tonal weirdness of it, I, I think it knows exactly what it's doing. I think it's very tongue-in-cheek in a very smart manner uh, for most of the movie. Uh, and I like those little silly details, you know, nerd being the institute that they work at. It's dumb uh, as hell. They're so annoying as the, characters. The Betty Page sticker on the Betty machine. like yeah. it, It's got those little nods. I think it knows exactly what it's trying to do, and it, I think it works for the most part. Um, I'm pretty sure that 90% of this movie, uh, or, or I'm 90% sure that most of this movie was made in the 90s and just released in 2009. <laughs> Everything about this movie is very 1997. Totally. Uh, including the great title card treatment uh, that we get at the beginning of this film mm-hmm. uh, with a huge Warner Brothers logo, which is also a trip that Warner Brothers distributed this film stateside. Uh, just, man, uh, obviously Gaumont has a big hand in it, the Canadian production mm-hmm. stuff, but uh, for this to be a Warner Brothers release is just fascinating to think about uh, especially in 2009 yeah. or 2010 whenever it is oh nine yeah um so uh yeah it's it's wild to think about um you know what uh, for me though sarah Pauly's really i don't like her here really uh, and i think a lot of that might just be the script itself it's a very clunky a very odd, sure. awkward script dialogue uh speaking i think the actual concept narrative is really interesting and, and bizarre and wild and works in weird ways uh, but yeah, Sarah Polly just doesn't work for me until that kind of there's that point. She kind of has a heel turn. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I don't want to get too much into that, but that's where she really kind of gets into it in a, a different way, and I think is really interesting. And I think maybe having seen this film a couple of times informed that for me, Arthur. Yeah. Is I can see those levels earlier on in the yeah. performance. Um, but yeah, I will agree. She's kind of underwritten. I, I think she's maybe underserved by yeah, the screenplay. Just, yeah, but to your point, my exact notes here are Brody is fine. Um, yeah, you know he's he's doing his what he has to do to get through yeah. the movie, um, and so I, I guess depending on where you land on Sarah Pauly might uh, affect your view of this film if you've never seen it before. 
Um, but I, I think obviously the star of this movie is Delphine and and Drin. Uh, I think Drin's design Amazing. is incredible. Yeah. I think uh, that things arc through this movie. Uh, I don't want to gender it, uh, obviously, um, because of what happens uh, in this film. But yeah, I, I think uh, man, Delphine's just uh, the way she embodies uh, Drin uh, is really interesting, and to have a, a dancer. As Dalton points out, I think it's very important to the the creature's movement and Dren's growth and performance throughout the film. I'm fascinated by the the mashup of uh, like prosthetics and CGI in the creation of Dren because it is kind of hard to see the seams and it's, yeah. it's hard to imagine. I'm sure I've, there's uh, behind the scenes stuff, right, where we can see yeah. how she Delphine's actually walking around and whatever contraption yeah. she has on her feet. But man, ve- yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the movement of that of that character uh, it is central to yeah. this film. Uh, so it's, it's very fascinating to watch and just wild bonkers. Uh, I was reading Ebert's review and I, I think the kind of the first two thirds of this movie where it is a very, you know, unique and interesting film that's really focused on these two being parents to Dren is, is a really more interesting than the kind of third act action beat turn thing it does and, and that's one of the things Ebert points out is it just kind of becomes this studio there's got to be a chase sequence mm-hmm. thing uh, inserted to get to where they've got to go. Um, and so, you know, I wasn't on fire for it, but I was, you know, it's one I wanted to catch up with for a long time, but just because of the kind of, I, I know Dalton speaks pretty, you know, highly of it. Uh, and so we have very similar tastes and wheelhouses. And so uh, I was glad to be able to get to watch it. It is weird and bizarre in all of the right ways. Uh, I just, I wish the uh, actual dialogue had been a little, a little snappier. cleaned up yeah. and, and tighter because it's just so clunky and unnatural i think you're right that it has that 90s-ness and that it doesn't give a shit about or and or doesn't care about science really and it doesn't care about how these people probably actually talk it is kind of a very affected yeah uh, like uh geneticist punk aesthetic that they they both have yeah i i get you they're kind of off-putting characters by design yeah but there's yeah i think there's a some pieces missing in the screenplay yeah. to really lock that in. But I, I think this movie is all about one just being weird, yeah. and I think it nails that. And it's also really focused and cares about Dren and, and that idea and what that brings into the the mix mm. and those kind of thematics. And so I think for that it it works. And so I'm I'm I think positive middle of the road. I, I think is where I'd land. I, I'm not mad about it. I enjoyed it. I would watch it again. And I think there's some interesting things to take away from it. Dustin, where do you find yourself? Very good. Well, let me just say a couple labels that I might ascribe to this film. It is like this psychosexual body horror, mm-hmm. science mm-hmm. fiction, gothic film. Yeah. What do you think, I think? Yeah, I kind of feel like you were going to go for this. Okay, yeah. I mean, of course. It's just, I mean, this is hitting all my tick boxes. I, I'm digging it all kinds. I love all the performances. I, I do think uh, the CGI and prosthetics are very well met. Uh, I think the performances are great. I think the score... Um, what little there is is really very effective. affecting. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, to to Arthur's point, uh, to kind of I, I think close a loop here, um, I I think that score does a, a lot of heavy lifting. Uh, as Arthur mentioned, it doesn't really become a horror film per se for a long time, and it kind of uses a little bit of maybe the structure of something like Alien uh, and stretches that out a, a lot longer. Where you know you're in a horror movie, it's just a question of how long it's going to make you wait when for is that it going reveal. to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as Arthur said, there's so much 
centered focus on Drin as a character, and I think the more you think about the story from Drin's POV, the more it becomes a horror film very early. Well, I, I think that's why I think of it in the label that is probably less often used as a gothic film, mm-hmm. that it is sort of establishing the sort of mood throughout, and that the mood is the best part of it. And, I mean, I'm, I'm with you guys. I understand like that the third act does feel a little choppy or a little hasty. I, actually, what happens, and again, we'll not talk about that in detail right now but what actually happens not a bad thing i mean not a bad set of decisions or mm. or whatever but the way in which it is sort of truncated and compressed and like we got to come to a place where we end this film and uh, come to some kind of you know conclusion climax denouement or whatever yeah it's not like the things that happen don't make sense based on the building blocks we have right, right. uh although the proceedings will you know necessitate a content warning here in a little bit when we start really getting into it correct but what uh, I, I think maybe that hastiness and and those things ending up on the board are maybe part of it well i think so and i think it just sort of um kind of nods towards mood and mm-hmm. that sort of long atmospheric sort of take at the particular horrors that are being faced it kind of loses yeah a, a hand that it had on it before maybe is yeah, that what you're saying yeah a much longer cat and mouse a much more maybe another 15 minutes yeah and yeah. And, and and sort of again additional development of uh, some some of the sort of historical things one of the gothic tropes is the way in which blood will out and uh, you know family secrets and those kind of things. I, I think yeah, that some, shit's there, huh? <laughs> some of that could have been played with, uh, and there could have been an additional reveal of some sort that I think would have made what already was you know okay much more satisfying. Gotcha. If that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I, I was kind of getting where you were at. I was just wanted to prod you and get a clarification. For sure, for sure. So I mean, but overall though, I enjoyed the experience. I enjoyed the film. Um, I yeah, yeah give me a, give me a psychosexual. Uh, science fiction, gothic film, anytime you want, body horror, uh, yeah, I'm in. So all those labels, all those particular flavors in flux and mix there, I'm all about this particular DNA cocktail uh, that makes up this film. So there so, you go. So we more than made up for Swim Fan, is that what you're saying? Uh, yes. Swim Fan has been... We demanded more horniness, and unfortunately it was delivered. <laughs> it w- yes, yes, but... And although I don't how we do things on like show. it, I like it. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yes. Well, exactly. That was what that, that is the monkey's paw of that wish <laughs> yes. on this episode is that yes, that's terrible. And thank you. Um, so there you go, dear listener. Those are our thoughts regarding splice in terms of our initial reaction. Let's play that mental thought exercise in which you are teaching a class somewhere where you get to use splice on your syllabus. Would you be able to use it on your syllabus? I would not. Um, and uh, but let's just pretend like we could. And what would the class be, and how would you go about it? Would be a module, be part of an entire class, and what additional things would you be using to pair and to augment your reading of Splice? I go to you first, Arthur. Yeah, so I was on Letterboxd looking at some of the reviews of this, and one of my favorite reviews of this was simply, white men will screw anything. (laughs) And so that is my syllabus for you today. (laughs) This is funny. Uh, My first pick is obviously going to be Ghostbusters. Sure. uh, Where Dan Aykroyd receives oral sex from a ghost, which is cut from a lot of the TV screenings of this film, but it is there in the movie. Uh, And uh, I I think this trope of uh, non-human coitus... Yeah, sure. uh, can lead to a lot of interesting uh, discussion and how it's implemented and how it's used. Uh, I think Ghostbusters, a lot of these picks are comedy, so that's mostly why it's being used. Um, and so, uh, obviously, Sex with the Ghosts is, is not too tangentially removed from, you know, it's not too far removed from alien sex as well. Mm. Uh, and so Ghostbusters, I think, would be the first choice, and I'd pair that with uh, MacGruber. 
which also features some uh, ghost coitus. I'd forgotten about that. Um, yeah, it does. With uh, our, our wonderful Will Forte and the one Maya Rudolph, who's great in everything that she does. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I, I would piece these two together, where obviously this is 100% being used for laughs and for humor. Um, is that rain? The humidity finally triggered rain. Wow. Welcome to the Good Trash Rainy cast. I know. Sorry for that uh, delay. Um, I was now for the weather report. Caught me off off guard too. It is now currently. Didn't know what was happening outside. There's a 69 (laughs) percent chance that it's already raining outside. Nice. Brick killed a guy. Um, (laughs) We're having a anyway. My next pairings would be a couple of teen uh, episodes, and the first is obviously American Pie, uh, where Jason Biggs gets down on a apple pie. Yep. Um, Poor pastry. uh, Because he wants to experience. Oh. Well, what it feels like because he is a uh, virgin, and in 1999, uh, virginity was the worst thing that could happen to a young 18 year old man in high school the who more has no friends. Yeah, the more you talk about this syllabus, Arthur, the more it really is going to be an, an interesting exploration of Hollywood's sexuality. Yeah, uh, and especially probably white male teen sexuality uh, as well. Uh, and with American Pie, I'm obviously going to pair Call Me by Your Name, uh, which features the, uh, the infamous Peach yep. uh, sequence. Uh, where uh, our young Chalamet uh, gets it on with a peach uh, because he wants to know what it feels like. And so we have a lot of uh, boys exploring their feelings and their bodies with uh, fruits and uh, uh, desserts. Uh, So that would be my next pick. Obviously, I'm going to end with famous uh, TV um, procedural star Christopher Maloney humping a fridge in uh, Wet Hot American Summer. I like how comedy-heavy this this class goes. Yeah. Uh, be, to to kind of cut, splice a little bit. Yeah. Because you could have gone dark, like Harmony Corinne's yeah. Trash Humpers or well, something like that. Well, there was like some that. spring... Yeah. Uh, there was some John Waters on the docket, sure. but I haven't seen that movie, and, uh, but uh, there is a instance with a chicken. Yeah. Uh, but we don't want to get PETA involved. <laughs> I don't need to bring in that whole <laughs> animal activi- activist stuff. Get the so. classroom mad at you. Yeah. yeah I got It you. makes it weird. Um, but they did, you know... Eat the chicken afterwards, so I guess there's that. <laughs> Didn't let anything go to waste. They used the whole buffalo. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that would be. Uh, I think my my syllabus would just be uh, just complete silliness of uh, unconventional sex scenes, and obviously you don't want to get too Google heavy with this because it gets some weird results. <laughs> uh, so I'd have to be uh, careful with my kids doing any research papers on this topic. What is this class though? That's what I want to know. Is this a class on weird sex, or is this like a module within a class? That's I'm, probably I'm, a module within a class. I didn't really flesh it out that much yeah but it's, I, yeah it's, it's more conceptual than anything i like the concept though yeah i, yeah, I do too there, there is a definitely a an interesting expo like i said of, of hollywood because you can't talk about splice without talking about the big e on the i chart yeah. well and i will be talking about that yeah, in my it, syllabus it, as well it'll it's, definitely come up yeah i i, I was wondering like that i mean definitely is mobile as a plug and I, I was just curious as to what would be the plug and play for that kind of thing and i think you could do about anything with yeah it, you could talk about the tropes i mean obviously tropes you'd be yeah i mean american pie i'm calling by your name you're talking about obviously, yeah. obviously puberty and going through that and trying to figure out how your body works and all that fun stuff well and having and puberty itself is pretty crucial to splice I, so. I was gonna say having such opposite sides of the spectrum right having american pie and uh you know call me by your name you know explorations of you know sexual awakenings in hollywood and you know at both at the you know studio and indie level and how does you know what does this mean signal for culture right and how we are viewing sex culturally yeah i, th- I think it's it's conceptual but there's a lot of there yeah for sure for sure well all right dalton What's your class, buddy? We are also going to be talking about sex. Uh, This class is going to be something called uh, When Your Modern Prometheus is Also a Sex Thing. So we're going to be looking at some 
some Frankensteinian tales. Frankensex? Some Frankensex, if you will. Thank you, Dustin. Uh, Frankenstein's sex monster. Exactly. And I definitely want to start with Splice, probably. I think we're going to just hit the ground running there. Uh, And then we'll take a step back, and we'll look at Kenneth Branagh's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, uh, mostly because it's uh, one of the most literal adaptations, but also because it's weird and kind of like Splice, go to some bonkers places in the third act. And then, you know, we might... uh, I'm not going to make everybody read Frankenstein. I'm probably going to assume they read it in high school. Um, or that is an incorrect assumption. I feel like a lot of people did. Maybe I'll just uh, make them read, uh, you know, uh, some of the, uh, the the more epistolary parts of that novel, like stuff on the ship, maybe just the nice. ending and see how the ending's different. Um, but yeah, we're going to look at the whole thing, but I think we got to talk about where this starts, right? Because there is so many stories can be directly traced back to Frankenstein. It is such a deeply, deeply important work. Um, yeah, Mary Shelley pours them out for a real one, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, good stuff. So we're gonna look at that. I have a question. Though, yeah, go ahead. Just about the movie. How about the "It's Alive, It's Alive" line? Kenneth Branagh's delivery? No, no, no. The "It's Alive, It's Alive" line in Splice. Oh, it's good. Yeah, I knew it was coming. Okay. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, you knew, but I yeah. didn't, and I was like, oh, I was so. Was, wait, remind me. I I was getting cleaning uh, while I was watching it. This well, time. when when uh, Dren sort of emerges from embryonic to something of a bipedal state, sure, um, yeah. and you know they realize that she's alive, not actually dead. Yeah. Uh, I guess uh, Elsa calls out, it's alive. Elsa, again, sort of. Yeah, you know, Elsa and Clive. Elsa and Clive, yeah. So the, the references are there. Well, anyway. in my notes here for the class, I did also subtitle it, Clive and Elsa, lol. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's alive, it's alive, is said. And I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, did it bother you? And I was like, oh. I thought you would have liked it. I, well, I mean, I knew that's what they're doing. Gotcha. I couldn't understand what you were saying about yeah, it. Yeah, it's like, I, so you don't have to telegraph. They it. have said what they're doing a lot. You're right. Yeah. And I think that's going to be fun to have them back to back in that regard, to yeah. look at. Just how much is already there from Frankenstein and, and looking at how much of, even within the original novel, like how much like kind of coded sexuality there is going on, uh, how much sex enters into that story uh, because of, I, again, these, these the limits of control, uh, the attempts to play God and unintended consequences, all of these things. I think then we'll move forward, uh, bring it back to Canadian body horror and look at the fly, of course. Uh, wherein, you know, sometimes you do the Frankenstein thing to yourself. Uh, and, man, we're going to have fun with that one. What a, what a film. Uh, also going to be looking at the much maligned but very interesting to me uh, Alien prequels, Prometheus and Alien Covenant, which are also deeply, deeply, deeply sexual and weird and all about, literally all about this. I'm uh, probably engaging with kind of the uh, Frankenstein connections as much as Splice uh, and then dealing with the Prometheus connections that Frankenstein has a great deal as well, making that God and the created very explicit the way it is in the novel. And I think maybe then we'll kind of, this will be a, a, a section where we can talk more about the novel again uh, and the ways in which, you know, the the language of, of God and man and the devil is all intertwined and used in, in that novel. And, and then uh, these two films, which again are weird and kind of bad, but also I think really cool. Uh, I, I love the the art design uh, of these alien prequels. There's something, um, I don't know, both generic and specific about it, but I think really it really works for me. Uh, I don't know that they totally sell the idea that it takes place in the same universe as that original alien film. Uh, it does feel kind of removed aesthetically, but I think it is still aping that, that 70s uh, 
you know, CTR future that they have an alien and kind of adapting it for the 20, 20 teens. Uh, again, I like those movies a lot, and I think the the religious imagery and uh, the, the the psychosexual components of that film, those films, are really really fascinating. Uh, and then I will end this series and uh, also my frequent referencing of the TV show Hannibal. Uh, I'm putting it to bed after this week. Sure, but we are. I am. I finished my rewatch. It's going in the the Fincher rule corner. I'm not going to talk about it. We've had to reintroduce bands on the show, but. Boy, does it keep coming up. Uh, I know it sounds a little off the beaten path, but I think in terms of unethical science, it's going to make a lot of mm-hmm. sense because this is a show about psychologically creating people, manipulating people, gaslighting them and priming them uh, and grooming them to be who you want them to be. And I think the uh, Hannibal is such a sensual series, and I don't just mean that in the sexual sense that I've already been talking about, but it just in the the truest sense of the word sensual, it is so obsessed with the way things feel, taste, smell. It, it is really fascinated with this up-close, tight sensory photography uh, and, and those sensory components mashing up with the psychosexual relationships that occur all throughout the series. Uh, I don't think we'll have time. We'll probably just look at some of the Red Dragon stuff because that's where the sexual stuff between, uh, or the romantic stuff between Will Graham and Hannibal gets the most uh, explicit in the series. And again, We've already covered a lot of homework on this class. We'll probably just kind of talk about this series. And again, I am now putting it to bed, but it has been fun over the last couple of months to see just how many pieces of film and storytelling that Hannibal fits with. It's uh, It's been a fun ride with this one. Goodbye, you sweet, sweet, weird show. I hope you get another season or a movie or something. Uh, Dustin... What's your class going to be about? So I think my class would be a module uh, within sort of a film genres uh, kind of class and sort of off the beaten path kind of genres, and specifically the body horror. I don't think body horror ever gets sort of the module treatment uh, oftentimes in these. You know, you're going to do something in more just a generic kind of horror. You might talk about the slasher specific or the zombie film sometimes will get uh, specific classes and or modules uh, you know, sort of programmed mm-hmm. in for them. But the body horror itself, I don't think, uh, gets the same kind of shrift. And I, I think that would be fun. Um, and uh, so uh, the body horror uh, course that I would construct, or not course, rather, module within these sort of, again, off-the-beaten-path kind of genres um, that I would want to look at, uh, for instance, like the apocalyptic thriller would sure. be, you know, something else to think about. You know, those kinds of particular kinds of genres the disaster film mm. which again people talk about a lot but as far as like academically like this is going to be a week of dealing with that that's kind of what i would envision for the class um so what would the body horror horror module look like it would look like splice um to start off with and then i think alien is definitely in a big deal sure. already mentioned and, and something just worth talking about then i think david lynch's eraser head mm, would be also yes. another interesting uh it's got the same sort of pregnancy kind of themes working on with it as well but it's also got this sort of just general sort of industrial disillusionment uh mm. at work and i think that's something really something that both alien and uh uh, Splice have in, in their own ways. Right, for sure. Um, of course, David Cronenberg is the godfather of all things body horror, but rather than using The Fly, which I think is doing some similar kinds of things as we might find in Eraserhead and or Splice, I think I'd go with Videodrome nice. and talk about that sort of technological in- integration uh, that goes along with it. And the last film... Pairs I, nicely with Alien there. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut no, you no, off. I just got excited thinking about Ash the Android and the, the VCR tummies. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And so I, I think that's 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 a way into that. And then the last film, I'm actually picking an animated film. I'm going to do Akira um, and those last scenes especially mm. in uh, which uh, it's not so much because of experimentation or uh, those kind of things, but like Videodrome, 
it's where uh, these technologies and other things that are sort of environmentally being used in secretive government kind of context uh, with Akira have adverse and unexpected effects. I think that's interesting in terms of the causality of the body horror, and I think that's one of the things you'd want to think about a lot. And then just particularly the aesthetics themselves of just what is horrific uh, regarding that and what happens to poor Tetsuo's arm and the rest of him is... Uh, uh, yeah, uh, definitely worthy of uh, some consideration uh, there. So that would be uh, how I would approach body horror in a module. So there you go, dear listener. Uh, your syllabus just got longer. I think now, though, it is time to get down to business. It's business. It's business time. I don't know what you're trying to say. You're trying to All say righty, dear listener. We are back, and we are so thrilled to be talking about uh, this. And there are so many places we could go, um, so many sites. Do you already know where you want to start? I don't know where I want to start because I'm kind of, I, I feel like they're all darlings. Do you have something I, you I want think, to start yeah, with? Yeah, it just kind of lined up pretty well between the, the last two syllabuses. Uh, we're kind of talking about the way science enters into horror. We can revisit our uh, old conversation about horror as the most conservative genre. Um, although that kind of gets fudged a little bit uh, when we start to think about the place of capital within some of these science horror films. Yeah. Uh, because that does often become the source of the greatest uh, peril uh, in these kinds of pictures. So there is uh, interesting stuff at play, I think, in all of the 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 uh, the films we laid out um, in, in which uh, God and, and uh, defying God kind of enters into the picture in a lot of these body horrors and a lot of these science horror films. Um, and and that, that nexus is interesting to me, I guess. Uh, these ethical considerations, right, but also these uh, financial considerations and where those intersections meet, uh, which, uh, you know, is kind of the story of all progress, right, is... Uh, how? What does capital want to finance? What does uh, social mores uh, say is acceptable? Whether it's art or science, these are kind of two disciplines, and which makes even then when film gets it very wrong and you know fudges the actual science quite a bit, it does make them interesting because they are both fields that are kind of heavily heavily about patronage in interesting ways. I think. I, I I think so too, and I think it is an interesting sort of movement that you can see throughout the sort of scientific tro or science fiction trope that we're working with, with Frankenstein being uh, Victor Frankenstein's sort of obsession with discovery, uh, and maybe yeah. maybe fame to a lesser extent. Uh, in the novel, but for the most part, he really just he really desperately wants to know if he can. And it's that's kind of separated out in Splice, right? I think uh, Sarah Pauly's character is more interested in what can we do. Uh, Adrian Brody's kind of uh, seems interested in the fame a little bit. Fame, well, and I think both of them together though are driven financially. They're driven Absolutely. because they want to make the money, and they know that the discovery, you know, fame, great bonus. You know, uh, being able to do something no one else does, great bonus. But it comes right down to. Making Making the money. And Which is where, now that the spoiler band-aids have been ripped off, is where things end up, right? Now that Sarah Pauly has Dren's uh, child uh, within her, the company can't be kept out of what's going on any longer, and they allow things to continue because of the unbelievable amount of money that they could potentially make from this freaky hybrid child. And, and, and that's what sort of uh, fundamentally uh, begins to undergird immorality and exploitation. That immorality and exploitation find their ground of being, so to speak, you know, to use ontological language, 
in um, capitalistic um, enterprise, that this idea of finding, owning uh, some means of production and then exploiting it to make as much money as possible. Even if that thing you want to own and exploit is a human womb. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, in this case, a sentient being. Yes. Yeah. And Which is part of, well, I don't know if it's too early to go here. Uh, I don't know if I'm jumping tracks too quickly, but that is part of the relationship between um, Dren and her parents slash captors slash creators, right, is the shifting boundaries between uh, Dren as an object, Dren as a subject, Dren as a being, uh, Dren as a human, uh, Dren as an animal, right? How this fucking line gets gray and woogie and shifty and how that complicates every aspect of the film. For all three of the characters, I think, is really interesting, the ways in which that dynamic those three spinning plates of a dynamic all kind of intersect throughout the the, the, the picture. Well, and I think there is a certain kind of uh, cruel, cold logic to exploitation that the film is playing with as well. That exploitation requires um, some sort of uh, de-estimation or devaluation or dehumanization of that which is exploited. Well, and that's, you know, every time... Sarah Polly's character, you know, Elsa finds herself getting too close to Dren, right? She pulls away by dehumanizing and othering. Mm-hmm. Uh, every time she has to remind herself that this this creature is dangerous, she does it the only way she knows how, coming from, and again, that's why I didn't want to jump tracks too quickly, because there's some real cycle abuse stuff going on with her character. Right. Uh, which enters into the money, being a part of the equation, right? Like, sh- she knows how bad shit can get. She didn't want to go back there. Mm. Um, but the the ways in which she takes on behaviors she probably hated when they were done to her, right? She ends up taking on these own, these these very traumatizing, damaging, violent behaviors so that she can dehumanize this creature, so that she can do science to it, right? For sure, for sure. And I mean, and, and that's where, you know, the it, her language sort of plays around. And, and, and again, uh, I was thinking about Timothy Morton and his dark ecology book a little bit, you know, if I was doing a different kind of class. I don't know that that uh, work has come up on here before. Uh, What's Tim- that? Timothy Morton uh, is, is a great writer, and uh, Dark Ecology is uh, one of his m- more recent books. It's a collection of lectures that he gave at Stanford question mark and uh he uh, he did uh ecology without nature is uh sort of the more famous text that he's done and this idea of um the way in which uh anthropocentrism mm. uh enters into our environmental and sort of just overall discourse and yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and the way in which we see ourselves as the pinnacle and the most important and the most valuable and that we again devalue and that's the way in which we can justify the exploitation of say beings who have the intelligence of say a three-year-old child um, that are you know farmed. I'm talking about pigs, and I love bacon. Yeah, I had sausage for breakfast this morning, and and, and I basically cry uh, almost every time I cook pork. It's, yeah, it's a weird relationship I've I've got with pork. But uh, and, and again, thinking about Morton um, and thinking about this movie is again sort of one of those things that's going to drive me to my eventual vegetarianism. I just see it coming. I just I don't want to, but it's I also hard and common. Uh, grumble, grumble, grumble. But my ethics are. We know we're bad people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's coming. It's coming for me. I think it really is. Is you know you've got to uh, you can you can take a uh, what's the word you, you got to want to to want to. And mm, there I, it is. I, at this point, I'm I'm becoming willing to be willing. Um, is is what I'm trying to say regarding this. But the idea, though, 
is that uh, what was done to African Americans, what is done to women, what is done to children, what is done to um, you know draft animals, what is done to uh, ecosystems. It's all the same thing. It, it is, is, again, a sort of devaluation of them based on the needs of human beings. And by, by devaluing, by uh, de... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Just dehumanizing? A, dehumanizing or a lack of esteem or respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, by doing those things, they actually dehuman us, dehumanize us ourselves. Yeah, we cheapen life itself so, in, a, in a weird way, which, again, is is a place where kind of, uh, if we want to, again, couch it in political language, uh, where progressive ethics do kind of become conservative because they come become about uh, preserving our, our uh, idealized, you know, our, the better angels of our nature or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it brings us to... Uh, you've kind of been talking around this, and I just want to throw this in with what you've been saying. It brings us to the Adrian Brody line, right, where uh, Elsa's like, well, we didn't, I don't know why she's being weird, We didn't, or why she has a defense mechanism. We didn't put any predator in her. And he's like, yeah, we did. We did human beings. People, we put a fucking apex predator in there. Right. Uh, and this idea, and though. That is when our societies, you know, get super advanced, our predation becomes more complicated. When, when you, um, again, sort of desacralize again i'm trying to find the exact word or verb i'm trying to use here but when uh the 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 reverence and respect with which we hold human beings we don't begin to extend that beyond our own uh, immediate species line it actually dehumanizes us further timothy morton argues and so he opens up his book on um, that that book dark ecology uh with a story about an account of a cat being hit by a car mm-hmm. and what do you do with the body of a cat maybe nothing maybe something but it it's it, it, it's the the question is well if if that's that easy with a living thing that somebody loved or could have loved or could have been loved by somebody um you know it, it, if it's that easy to just sort of dispose of that kind of being then there that is we're really just talking about a question of degrees then and how we interact with the world well and that's why i brought up that brody line of reminding you know her that people are predators because it is that that anthropocentrism right the this uh, anthropocene era that we find ourselves in happened because we decided we s- existed separately from nature which we don't no uh, and once yeah as it sounds like uh, you're, this author's pointing out once you try to make that distinction, things the, the rules get very fuzzy, uh, and you can make all kinds of rationalizations about how you're going to treat both human beings and other living creatures. Which makes it okay to maim Dren, which makes it okay to, you know, again, sort of imprison her, them. Um, it, 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 to groom Dren uh, in a way that Brody realizes he's doing and gets icked out by himself, realizing what's happening. Uh, that this cross-species uh, confusion is is starting to take place. Like, he clocks it before Dren does. Uh, or rather, well, I guess we have gotten... Have we seen the pictures uh, that Dren drew of him before they dance or after? Uh, before. before. It is before. Okay, so already, yeah, Dren's got it. That Brody yeah. clocks it first, then Sarah yeah, Polly starts Dren talking about it. Dren immediately sort of attracts with male attraction right away, yeah. yeah. Well, the biggest thing is when he says, I love you on the roof. I think that's the first. Of course, he says, yeah, we yeah, yeah. love you, but that's not with the what she hears, yeah. right? And uh, so I guess that does transition us to um, paging Dr. Freud. Yeah, uh, and, and all the family crap that's going uh, on in this movie. Uh, yeah, the Oedipal Electro- Electrical. Electrical? Uh, ah, yes, the Oedipal Electrical Company. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, howdy, don't get near <laughs> those outlets. Good, good, good old OEC, the Oedipal... Oedipal Gas and Electric. <laughs> oh, boy. That's a fun bit of local content for you there. <sighs> Man alive. I'm sure Norman uh, and uh, who else did this OEC service? I don't know. They're a bad company. <laughs> bad people to get your electricity from. Um, but, the, the, again, 
what ends up happening is this is a makeshift family, and you sort of see this developmental process where, um, I mean, I guess to rehearse the sort of uh, idea of uh, just coming of age and, and slow mat- developmental process that, that, as Freud la- lays it out and later his followers, is that uh, initially uh, the child imprints on their parent of the same gender, and so there's an immediate sort of connection that Dren has with her mother, uh, her mother, right, Elsa, yeah. well, who's basically her mother. Well, who is? We who, do find well, out we, she's genetically her, her her genes are in there. Correct. Um, and and then again, the sort of uh, a fear of the father, castration, you know, and all that kind of sort of fear that goes along uh, with those kinds of uh, jealousy issues regarding the father who takes the you know attention from, or you know, is just a distraction from the breast and sort of the nourishment uh, that's provided. I there. like how much, even though basically every time Freud comes up, you know, we dunk on him and how it's all been thrown out the window. I, I like that you're for this episode especially going ahead and getting into all the minutiae of it because it still informs. A lot of the, the theorizing outlines that, the plot of the movie. Oh, exactly, for, for sure it does. It still informs our like cultural understanding of sexual development, even if it is not you know uh, used psychologically speaking much by uh, people. You know, and, and then typically, as later uh, childhood and early adolescence begin, uh, those children tend to identify more with the parent of the opposite gender. Sometimes, out of a sexual attractive kind of way, that's when a neurosis or uh, sort of pathology develops. Uh, if one becomes you know strongly sexually attracted. Uh, uh, to the parent, of course, you know, for Freud's framework, there's only heterosexuality. Um, nonetheless, we'll we'll just acknowledge that and we'll move on. Pretty goobus. But uh, and so and again, you know, you see this. I mean, I see this with my own children. My my Sometimes boys. Sometimes a cigar is not just a cigar, is it, Doc? My ah. boys are much closer to their mother right now than they are to me, and uh, that's sort of a natural kind of process that t- sort of takes place. Well, yeah, your spouse is lovely, and you suck. And it's correct. I mean, and that's probably a big part of the of the why. But but you know, you tend you tend to uh, sons tend to have a bit more conflict and sparks with their fathers. Uh, daughters tend to have more sparks and conflicts with their mothers. Um, for you know various and compounded yeah. sort of historical kinds of reasons, and this is sort of what drives the uh, little birds from the nest, mm. right? Um, that's just sort of part of what happens. And and it was what drives the conflict, as Arthur pointed out, drives the conflict of this film, right? And and so in the same kind of way, this this follows a very strongly Freudian you know framework. Um, and it finds itself being expressed in really bizarre kinds of ways. There's a, there's a line from Steven Tyler that is really, really disturbing. I, I want to <laughs> sort of utter about his daughter Liv. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. um, I'm stealing myself for this uh, one. I mean, it, well, okay, so what ends up happening in the film, if you have not watched it, as we've been sort of talking about the sort of Oedipal Electra. Uh, Electra is just sort of the girl's version of Oedipus, right? Oedipus yep. marries his mother in Greek mythology, and this idea of sexual attraction um, within this, so Dren being female is sexually attracted to Adrian Brody. They end up consummating that relationship. But Steven Tyler once had, and there's a moment of dancing where uh, he's looking deep in her eyes. Yes, I've mentioned this a little bit. And uh, there's definitely a moment of sort of meet cute kind of attractiveness that's going on there. But he also has this realization that he ha- that she has uh, Elsa's DNA, yep. and that's part of why. Steven Tyler, this is now Aerosmith. He was talking about, of course, I was sexually attracted to my daughter Liv. She's a combination of her mother, who I obviously was attracted to, and me, who I'm obviously attracted to. Attracted to. Boy, howie, that's uh, uh, it's gross. That's a lot to deal with. Well, that's I mean, we're we're talking about pathology at that point. Oh, brother. Um, and so I, I am, uh, you know, Steven Tyler's a dirtbag, but um, nonetheless, I'm not a big fan of Aerosmith or Steven Tyler personally, so I don't have any problems saying. No, it's just icky to hear. 
Yeah, it really is. But that is kind of what ends up happening here is the ways in which, you know, um, incest takes place is is in part because of the younger version of the other spouse, right? Um, uh, sometimes it happens within adopted families and, you know, there's, there's a whole other, you know, incest has got lots and lots of causes and, you know, we don't have to get super duper detailed into all of that. Yeah, but, there's lots of uh, educational films about the subject online if you're interested. Our education. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks. That was a slow it, burn on that it, laugh. Educational documentaries. Uh, yeah, it's oh, gross. It's gross. Oh, boy. <laughs> what, what, what a world we live in, huh? It is totally a thing. Um, but that is a, a lot of what drives, again, the conflict in this particular kind of plot. And um, I do think the conservatism of horror, though, that mm. we, we, we sort of engage is, is that these uh, people do indeed violate the taboo. Yeesh. And violators of the taboo are killed. Um, what happens to Elsa is sort of against her will. Yeah. And uh, not a sort of, it is. It is. It and is. Drin, uh, once you know, Drin shifts over, doesn't think about it twice. Because, right. I mean, part of what we're talking about, part of the taboo they first violated is the taboo you violate when you bring a chimp into your home, for instance, and treat it like a baby. Uh, and I, I read somewhere, somebody pointed out the connection kind of that this film follows, right? You bring a chimp in, and you baby it. And you, oh, you're so cute. You feed it with a bottle, and you put it in a widow diaper, and then it gets bigger, and you put it in a cage, because you remember it's an animal. Mm-hmm. And that thing thinks it's you. And... Uh, is confused because you're the only being that's around. And it gets sexually cross-species confused and does horrific violence upon your person, Correct. which is what happens here. Right. Uh, and part of that t- taboo is brings us back to dark uh, dark ecology, right? Is that trying to, in a weird way, It's I don't know if this is talk, touched on in that, that book at all or in the, the collection of essays, but, you know, this anthropomorphizing nature uh, animals uh, in ways that uh, are probably not great for them sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like I, it, well, I don't. I definitely ta- t- touches on it in, in uh, ecology without nature. I'm okay. not sure if I remember a dark ecology. I was just curious, but it's. I mean, that's part of the taboo that's being violated. I guess anyway is trying to force Drin into a role that she won't fit in because she's not a person. She's a creature that you created in a lab. You can't. I mean, which doesn't mean you know isn't a license to abuse Drin, but it means that you have to interact with her in a specific way. Probably, like you can't just f- keep flipping back and forth on whether or not you're going to give her agency or not. Well, and allow for the possibility that she will end up being whatever that whatever it is that she is. Yeah, uh, I, I think about the sort of uh, you're a vegetarian. No, you, she's not. No, she's she not. ate she, a rabbit. She ate a rabbit, and, and yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, so the other part of Freud I think that's important here is this, and again, this is a gothic trope as well, is the idea of family curses and or family maladies mm-hmm. sort of following down the family line. Uh, clearly, uh, Elsa's mother suffered from some pretty severe mental illness and also had a pattern of sheltering and closing off and sort of being arbitrary in terms of punishment uh, regarding Elsa. And we do see a repetition of those kinds of patterns yep. in the way in which Elsa parents Dren. And then, of course, Dren does seem to pick up some version of you know, um, mental illness. At least that's what Elsa suspects, although it may just simply be more of an animalistic kind of set of instincts. We're never really quite clear in well, this film. Why I brought that up, the anthropomorphizing Dren, is because animals don't really do consent. Um, which is the only reason I brought that, which isn't to say that, you know, it's the the proceedings of the film are uh, only Elsa and uh, uh, Clive's fault in so much that they did, you know, weird science. But, you know, fuck, man, uh, it's gross. Uh, hence the big content warning earlier. But, it, it, yeah, the the 
uh, I, I had a reason I interjected and go ahead and pick it back up and maybe I'll. Oh uh, boy, you know I don't. Crap! Know. I railroaded you. Uh, we're talking about Freud. Uh, the other part. Oh, the family curses, family maladies. Right. Yeah, it, it is. As soon as things get weird and lines get blurry, yeah, Elsa gets weird with the parenting, and we learn early on that she's not interested in uh, having children. Uh, and yet she is right. She wants this child. It's like a that drive. She, she wants this child she could control. Well, it's not necessarily that so much. I wonder as she wants specific ownership. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. And I don't. I don't know. The film doesn't really engage with that maybe as much as it could have or should have, but it's there. And I find that that nugget, uh, that thematic nugget within the film, interesting. Well, and again, that sort of arbitrary and and really sort of authoritarian kind of control. I mean, one well, of the, one of the little tidbits that we end up getting about Elsa is that she really wanted this particular Jenny kind of doll, and mm. her mama would not allow it. Yeah. And uh, so insisting, you know, um, you know, prescribing that's, roles, yeah, the prescribing kind of roles. But this idea that uh, an arbitrary whip cracking, mm-hmm. right, the nom de pair um, and dom de ma, I don't know what mother is. I was going to say mère, but mère means something else. Yes, it is. <laughs> I don't know what mama is. In I don't speak French. Sorry. French, nor do I. I used to know. I don't know. I'm so sure somebody uh, is screaming at their phone right now. Right. Sorry uh, about but that. Anyway, the the same linguistic idea of the the word of the law, and she does the exact same kind of arbitrarily taking the cat yeah. and and those kinds of things. Well, right? and then r- the interesting when Drin reasserts control, like no, you don't. You can't control me. I don't care about the cat anymore. Boo, yeah. boo you. And that's that, that troubles her. She can't control and doesn't know what to do with her at that point, right? Yeah. And then amputates her tail. Yeah, I mean, because that is definitely the point where she's like, "All right, fine, I'm done with you." Uh, and it is again a very troubling like s- cycle of you know familial violence thing going on within the, the context of the film. It's uh, it is a, again a, a huge tragedy. And uh, as I said, like from Drin's POV, it becomes a horror movie pretty early on. Like it's, it's oh, a yeah. terrifying existence that she's being uh, thrust under with these people. Mm-hmm, for sure. These bad parents, frankly. Yeah, they're not... Bad not, couple. But, yeah, not a good couple. They not, weren't ready for kids. They don't seem... I don't think they should be together, probably. Uh, seem yeah. like a bad fit. Yeah. Yeah, it happens. Well, <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I, I don't know. I'm always interested that uh, in that. And I think that, you know, I don't think they're written poorly on accident. I think... Or not... They're written as a poor couple on purpose, I guess, is what yeah. I mean to say. Um, I think it works here. I like that as a... a, a part of the dynamic that's on play here, right? Because in Fly, um, you know, to talk about that film again for a second, that relationship, you know, doesn't necessarily seem doomed for tragedy right away. Um, There there is kind of a a real uh, legitimate meet-cute early on in that film, and it's kind of a weird courtship, um, but it doesn't seem like as flawed from the ground up as this one. Right. Because as soon as we meet them, they are, yeah, they're combative with each other in a very specific way. I find... It only deepens all of the weird places this film goes. Agreed, agreed. Are there any sort of other big thematics that we want to make sure that we cover? The only thing I have written down that we haven't even come close to touching that I was curious if anybody had thoughts on. You know, we talk a lot on the show about, um, you know, last week with Swim Fan, we talked about, you know, the importance of knowing what you're talking about, knowing what you're writing about, so you don't say things that are bad uh, to have out in the culture, right? You don't want to have bad messaging in your film on accident. Uh, but we don't really talk about that with science at all. Uh, and the science of this film is nonsense. Because uh, pure science would be boring. And that's, I guess maybe that's I the question. That's is it. it too boring? Is I it... think that's it. I mean, I think, you know. I don't know. Interstellar is pretty fun. And that's, uh, you know, but they research it... the science. on. Yeah. yeah, you're right. It is a little boring. I don't. It, it really is. Uh, I mean, The Martian is harder. really. Yeah, it's close. The movie itself, I think, 
does a good job of trying to make it entertaining. Mm-hmm. But I know the book itself is is kind of lauded as being very scientifically accurate. And yeah. I tried to read it and I was just bored out of my mind. I think that's probably why. Well, it's the funniest it's a lot movie of procedural of the stuff and just like it's very, Sorry. you know, by the minutia and like. These are the facts. These are the ch- you know we got to go through all this. Here's the hypothesis. Oh, it didn't stand up. It's a lot of repetition and a lot of trial and error. And trying to do that on a movie, you know, in a ninety minute horror film, you're just going to be yeah, it doesn't really wheels. flow. Yeah, you know? I, again, maybe that's why. The, as I was about to say, didn't mean to, to jump in. That you know, The Martian is such a funny film. Comedy winner for best uh, Golden Globe winner for best, best comedy. comedy. Yeah, uh, so hilarious because it's got to you know make the science entertaining. It's yeah. got to keep the jokes. Uh, to oh, to be serious, though, poop is fertilizer. It yeah. is kind of a funny yeah. movie. It's not a comedy, but there's a lot of jokes there's in it. It's joke yeah. heavy for that reason, I think. I mean, because if not, it's pretty desperate. That this v- guy's just stuck on space yeah. and doesn't have a way out. Yeah, and again, is kind of stilted. But I, I think that's a good the point. thing. You know, I mean, if Jurassic Park was just all about the cloning process, no, what do you care? Yeah. But yeah. if you wrap it up in a five-minute montage of a little cartoon DNA strand, yep, entertaining and money. Dino DNA. I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think you know any you know sci-fi movie should just have a cartoon uh, mascot that explains the science away in five minutes. There we go, or a title card that's like this. This is not real science, but wow. yeah, I guess we we bag on this. Here's your I mean, face hugger. We you know we, it's prime, primer. Is that Cruz? Yeah, it's prim- the time travel versus movie. you know Back to the Future. Yeah, I don't sure. Care about the yeah semantics of it. I just want to see Michael J. Fox go back in time and do stupid stuff with his parents. I guess maybe that is what it is. There, there's low mainstream appeal on making things scientifically accurate. It's just interesting. You know, we, we go take things to task when they're, um, you know, uh, inaccurate in their social science or their history uh, or, or, you know, any number of things we would normally take a film to task for. Or You know, I say we. I don't just mean the three of us. I mean, really, you know, the film discourse and film analysis at, at, as a whole. But I feel like we kind of go, eh, you got to fudge it sometimes. I think, and I think the other thing with, especially with Swim Fan and to Dustin's point about that film was to have a psychological thriller without psychology is an utter failure. But to have a sci-fi horror film... That's just science fiction. Yeah. I think it's not as reliant. Now, if the whole story had been about two genetic engineers trying to have a breakthrough, then the science becomes infinitely more important. There you have it. But I, I don't know that it's a film's job to get so caught up in that minutia of, are we getting the scientific process right? I mean, there are science people out there that are going to be like, well, that's not how it goes. It's really yeah. stupid. Um, it's log off Twitter, Neil. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then you got a bunch of Neil deGrasse Tyson's yeah. just killing the fun. And again, I I agree. I don't think it needs to be. I just kind of wanted to well, puzzle with that. I wanted like, to, to wrestle with that that question for a moment. But I think you there, you have the great points. I mean, again, that is why we let things off the hook for being historically inaccurate. It's like, oh, you can't. I mean, there's so many boring years you got to get through if well, you that, really want to do it. You got composite characters. There you yeah. have. Yeah. There's too many people. There's too. You have to kind of throw things in the blender a little bit. I think. Um, yeah. Again, I, I'm right there with you, Arthur. I'm in agreement. I just, uh, it's something we haven't ever talked about before, I don't think. Let's just puzzle over it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, let's render a verdict then. Shell for trash for splice. What do you say, Arthur, other rookie watcher? Um, man, I'm, I'm probably going to lightly, very lightly put it in the trash. Um, I enjoy it. I wasn't mad about it. I wouldn't be, you know, upset to watch it again, but I don't know how pertinent it is to viewers you know i think there are other things that you could watch in place of it and get the same results or achieve the same satisfaction so i'm going to lightly put it in the trash very good very good what do you say dalton i believe it or not i am going to do the same uh just because i think as i said you know this is a movie 
I tried to rewatch within a year and was like, yeah, not feeling it. Uh, and I, I think streaming is a great place for this film uh, for you to kind of forget about it and to come back. Oh, hey, that's you remember this movie? It's uh, it's on Netflix again. Well, here's what it's about. Yeah, it's I think it's perfect for that. Again, I do like it a lot, but uh, yeah, you should get Vincenzo Natale's Cube. That's never streaming. Uh, I think it was on Prime for a little bit a long time ago. It's just, yeah, that's that's weirder, more interesting, kind of predicts uh, Saw in some fun ways. And, and Arthur's right. Uh, you know, there's better Brody, better body horror, way better Polly. Uh, it's it's really good. Again, I do like this quite a bit. I just, it's not essential uh, in that way. For sure, for sure. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton. And I'm, I'm saying the same thing. I'm saying trash just because I, I think it's definitely good. I think it's de- definitely worth watching. I definitely wouldn't turn it down if someone wanted to put it on to watch. Yeah, but I went out of my house to watch it with, with people. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, you don't need it. Yeah, it, it, there, there, I mean, there, there's better you know, versions of all the things that it's doing. But that being said, that doesn't mean this is bad. It's just that it, it's, 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 it's very, very watchable, but it's not really necessarily something I would own. Yeah. So I'm recommending the film, but I'm just not recommending purchasing it in, like, physical media copy. It's been a while since we were that wishy-washy on a trashing, uh, I feel like. Uh, because usually it is, like, even if we don't hate it, we kind of come down on it as skippable. But this is, I think this is one of those trashings where we all are still recommending it fairly highly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Arthur, um, what What's what sh- what shall we be doing next? I think we're going to watch another movie that oddly kind of pairs well with Splice. I, yeah, I think in a way. I'm gonna I'm gonna drop the kayfabe. I know what we're watching next, and I agree. Uh, it does kind of pair well with it. Uh, we're gonna do. Does it have I, a pair of wings? Uh, it it does. Oddly enough, and hey. they uh, completely unfurl in the uh, third act. Mm-hmm. Uh, so wow. here we go. Heightened sexuality as well. Yeah. Uh, talk about an angel. <laughs> Angel gets around. Uh, we're we're talking Nora Ephron's Christmas blockbuster hit. Uh, Michael over ninety million dollars. This film made. Can you believe that? Nobody nobody remembers this movie. Everybody saw it. Everyone saw it. They wanted to make a sequel for a while. I saw it in the theater. That Chicks. makes sense. I think I saw it on home video shortly I after. I, I had never seen it. I I haven't seen it since I was a child, and I don't think I watched the whole thing. Then I probably fell asleep. But I remember advertisements. Oh, I remember seeing. I remember all that over poster. Yeah, yeah, that very bad poster with a dog photoshopped in the corner. <laughs> yeah, so great. It's gonna be an interesting film. So you keep watching. We'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. I'm not.